Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Maybe some of you can remember when you were a child, what were some of the things that really you were afraid of? We were in a smaller group here this morning, uh, classroom size or something. We'd maybe go around and share some of the things that now you look back and you think, boy, that was silly. But at the time, it was pretty real, huh? I can remember another thing. I can remember laying in my bed at night and, and hearing this noise. And I, and I figured out as an adult what it was is that the, the, the chimney that goes down to our furnace in our house uh, it was in my bedroom in the sense that the wall, the, the plaster and lath was wrapped around it. But it, was, it went up through my bedroom, sort of. And I realized, of course, later on, it was the noise of the um, gas igniting and coming on. Was, it was just a gravity-type radiator, like a hot water tank-type, you know, gas. And I'd hear that noise at night, and I would hear it, and I was sure somebody was coming up the stairs. I was sure somebody's coming up the stairs. And that was pretty scary until I remembered my mom was sleeping in the room right across the hall from me. And I was okay. And again, I look back and think, you know, if there really was somebody coming up the stairs, my mom probably couldn't have done much about it except call 911. But there was just something about her presence there that was reassuring and took care of it, and it was okay. As we open our Bibles to Acts chapter 23 today, and like you open your Bibles there, I'd like us to consider what was it about... The Apostle Paul, when he was in dangerous and frightening situations, that made it okay. Some of you right now are in situations in your life. What are some of the things that you're a little nervous about? What are some of the things that you might be a little afraid about today? Um, you know, in, in your life, it, you know, so, so many different things. Not eight and nine-year-old fears anymore, but we have our fears too, don't we? We have our uncertainties. We have things that have come our way and how is it that we can face those things as we sang this morning, um, because he lives? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word today, we pray your blessing upon it. Might we understand it? Might it help us in our walk with you? Might we love you more and grow closer to you in Christ's name? Amen. In Acts chapter 23, I, I didn't even really bother. I just got in last yesterday from uh, Michigan at board meetings, and so I didn't even bother to ask Gary, did you preach in Acts 22 last week like you were supposed to? All right, good for you. Okay, so I'm assuming you finished Acts 22, and well, let's pick up at verse 30 of 22. The next day, since the Roman commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by his fellow Jews, he released him. He, he released him. He pretty much gave him his freedom, in a sense, and took him out of, uh, you know, imprisonment, if you will. But he ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. And he brought Paul and had him stand before them. Um, now, the, the point we want to learn this morning is sort of in the middle of this, this story. It's a wonderful story, an interesting story. And I want us to read through some of this. So Paul is there in the Sanhedrin, which is made up of the Primarily the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the chief priests. It'd be, it'd be sort of like the Republicans and the Democrats, you know, and the ruling uh, officers, you know, something like that. These are two different kind of parties, kind of two different groups that have some different views on things, but they are the leading assembly when they gather together. And he, Paul looks straight at the Sanhedrin, 
Sanhedrin, and he said, My brothers, as I, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. The things didn't go so well. This, this meeting did not get off to a very good start. Um, because you'll see right away the, at this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Paul, all he says is, I, I have a clean conscience before our God. He's, he's Jewish. He's talking to his Jewish brothers. He says, brothers, before our God, I have a clean conscience. And immediately the high priest has hit him and someone slaps him across the mouth. I don't know if they punched him. Oh, there's probably an open hand type slap across the mouth. Could have been bleeding, you know, painful. And Paul says to him, that is, to the person who ordered that, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. That would hearken back to the Lord Jesus Christ calling the Pharisees. Remember he called them uh, and and the scribes? He says, Outside you look beautiful, but inside you're what? You're full of dead men's bones. You're like a tomb. In those days, tombs were more like a cave, like Jesus was buried in. On the outside, it could be, it could be whitewashed, painted white, kept up, looked nice. But inside, it was bones. And Jesus accused the, 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 the leaders of Israel when they, when they challenged him and, and, and so forth about being like that. And this kind of harkens back to that. Paul says, God will strike you, you whitewashed tomb, if you will, you whitewashed wall. God will strike you. And he, and he was right. In a sense, he says, you sit there and, and you, you, you sit there and judge me according to the law, yet you break the law by commanding that I be, that I be struck. And he was exactly right. And we talked about this last Sunday, a couple of weeks ago on Sunday night. If you read the early part of Acts, for example, the stoning of Stephen, all of these, um, uh, cases, the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ being brought before uh, the high priest, Stephen being stoned. This type of thing here is all completely against Jewish law. We have the Jewish laws from that day. You can read them. I have them in my office in the Mishnah. All the laws are there. And it was very clear. It was a very, it was a very good system. You had a right to an appropriate hearing, just like you would in our court system today. You had a right to defense. You had a right to, to have charges read against you. You had a right to defend yourself and no one could strike you or punish you or hit you or kill you without a proper trial and verdict. And this is a completely against what they would normally do. And yet this situation is so tense and so heated and so volatile that the high priest, after, after one phrase out of Paul's mouth, says, hit him, strike him. And of course, you know, the question is that when, after he, after he says this, and after, after Paul says that God will strike you, someone standing by in verse 4 said to Paul, you dare to insult God's high priest? And Paul's answer could be taken several ways. Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize he was the high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Now, it would be nice if I, or if you and I knew uh, the inflection of Paul's voice and the tone of his voice when he said that. Brothers, I did not know. Or, brothers, I didn't know he was the high priest, meaning I don't think he is the high priest because he sure isn't acting like one. Or I don't recognize him as high priest because he is standing here breaking the law. Or it could be, you know, my eyesight is bad and I'm sorry I didn't realize that's the high priest. 
Well, your opinion on that is as good as mine. I can't really tell you exactly. I'll tell you what mine is. I, I tend to think, I should come back a little bit more and talk about this tonight, along with some of the other things we're not going to cover today. I, I personally think Paul is human, and I think he did uh, lash out at the high priest. And I think the tone of his voice is, uh, I, I, this man does not deserve to be the high priest because he is not acting according to our law. That's my own personal opinion, but I could be way wrong on that. He may not. It would be hard for me to think of, of Keith or uh, Kim or Mike, you know, being in a court situation and saying, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that was the judge. <laughs> you know, even if you couldn't see him, um, it would be pretty hard for him not to know that was the high priest. It would be pretty difficult. Regardless of that, uh, this, this situation is going downhill fast. Paul has said one word. He's been hit in the mouth. He's in a dangerous situation. The mob is is already tried to kill him. In fact, this situation is so tense and so volatile that if you look ahead, you'll see that the end result of it is in verse 12, and all is said and done, the next morning, the Jews, that is, again, a certain part of the Jews. And I, you know, this is not all the Jews, but all the Christians down here in Judea are Jews. Thousands of Jews have come to Christ. But there is a group of them who have formed a conspiracy and they have bound themselves with an oath, look at, not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. 40 men made an oath together. We will not eat or drink till we have killed Paul. This is so volatile. They are so intent and so angry with Paul for what he is doing. In, in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentile world and daring come back to Jerusalem and proclaim the gospel there, that 40 of them, you have to ask yourself, what happened to those 40 guys? What happened to them? I'm not sure how long they could go without food or water. I know how long I could go. And the fact of the matter is, uh, Paul lives uh, five, six, seven more years after this. So I'm not sure if they followed through on this or not or what happened to them. But 40 of them were that, this is so volatile. Now let's go back here to verse, at the end of verse 5. After Paul has made this remark to the high priest and either apologized or accused him, okay, whichever way you, you however, however you want to inflect Paul's voice and his response, I want you to look at verse 6. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, now remember, Paul was part of this group at one time. He knows them very well. This is his home turf. He knows these people. He was part of this assembly. Knowing that they're Sadducees and Pharisees, Paul calls out to the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. And when he has said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the assembly was divided, divided in two. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection and there are neither angels nor spirits. But the Pharisees acknowledged them all. And there was a great uproar. And some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? And the dispute became so violent, the commander was afraid Paul was going to be torn into pieces. Now again, yeah, your opinion is as good as mine on this. I can't be dogmatic about it. Teresa and I were talking about this this morning a little bit. 
what is Paul doing here? Paul, Paul looks at the assembly, and, he, and it says, knowing that, do you mind if I categorize you this morning? Who wants to be the Sadducees? Oh, thanks. Okay, trainer and bed. Okay. Sadducees over here. Paul says, okay, here's the Sadducees. You want to be Pharisees over here this morning? You okay at that, Doris? This for, okay. All right, you have to. Okay. Pharisees, Sadducees. High priest, in case you're the high priest, high priest is sitting up here in front. Okay. And he looks at the situation over, looks the situation over, and says, by the way, I am on trial here because I'm preaching the resurrection, knowing full well that this group on this side over here do not believe in the resurrection, and everybody over here knows exactly how they feel. They do not believe there is a resurrection. In fact, they do not believe there are spirits or that there is an afterlife for individuals. Now, these are ruling members of the Jewish council, and they are strong about this belief. Again, think of, we were back in Michigan uh, this past week, and the Republican uh, caucus is this Tuesday. And, of course, that's all we heard about because every candidate was there and constantly, you know, there's this strong difference of opinions. And that's within, you know, in one party, and each party can have strong differences of opinions. And these people know what they think, and they know what they think, and, and they do not like each other over this. There is a real tension in the room. And Paul says, I'm here because of the resurrection. Why did Paul do that? High priest, do you know why he did that? To cause, what did you say? To cause tension, okay. So, and this is probably, you know, you look at that situation and you think, Paul knew that. Was this an attempt by Paul to divert the attention from himself and to get them fighting with each other so he could leave or, or get out of there somehow? If it was, it didn't go so well. Because <laughs> what happened? If I'm Paul... And I announce that, and pretty soon the debate is so that all of you come at me, okay? And you guys are grabbing me, and you guys are grabbing, and you're about to tear me in half. I mean, it's physical. You're going to tear me. You're going to kill me to the point that the Romans step in and say, we got to take him out of here, and they, they grab him by force and take him out. So if that was his intention, it didn't go so well. Why did Paul do this? Well, it's interesting. You know, we, we were talking this morning, it's sort of like that scene in Fiddler on the Roof where where at the very beginning they're arguing over the is it a, the animals that were given in this deal that that you remember the story and, and, and Tevya the thing is kind of calmed off and Tevya comes up and says actually it was this and he walks away and they're all fighting with each other again you remember that scene okay is it like that is that what Paul's doing or is Paul understanding the tension in the room and understanding the danger and knowing full well if I open my mouth and say this these, this half of the room over here they're going to try to kill me. Because, because I'm gonna, I am gonna cause a rift in this room, but I'm gonna do it anyway. And he announces, the reason I'm on trial today is because of the resurrection of the dead. Now this does bring to light another question you should be thinking about. How is it possible? How is it possible that half of this Sanhedrin could read the Old Testament understand themselves as God's chosen people, and yet believe there is no afterlife and there is no resurrection, and there is neither angel nor spirit. What Bible are they reading? What Old Testament are they reading? 
Who, who, who came to Abraham? The angels. The angel of the Lord. I mean, what are they thinking? And yet these people are a significant leadership group in Israel. And they do not believe in, in the afterlife. That's hard for us to really, you know, grasp that. But, you know, this is, I want this to kind of enter into our world today. Because this, this is our world today. You know, most of the people that you know who do not espouse the Christian faith, who would not consider themselves Christians, most of the people you know are not atheists. You might know some. I've not met that many. Most of the people you know are either agnostic or religious and have some understanding of God and, and so forth. But when it comes down to this particular belief in the actual individual, personal resurrection from the dead would not agree with you. And this would be a very controversial point. This would not be tolerant to espouse this. This is our world. These people are religious. They're leaders. But they do not agree that there's an afterlife. There may be something, but it's not a personal individual afterlife and a resurrection. And the dispute is so hot and the dispute is so great and their feelings are so strong that in in attacking Paul and trying to tear him apart, you've also got these people over here, the Pharisees, who many have been just as much in favor of getting rid of Paul as the Sadducees. All of a sudden you've changed your mind. And all of a sudden, you are now for Paul. You're going to vote for him. Because this one issue, you are all now going to support and grab me and say, no, he's on our side and we want him and, and, and he's okay. Because maybe a what has spoken to him? Huh? A spirit or an angel. Sadducees did not believe in spirits or angels. I mean, see how they're rubbing it in? See how they're rubbing it in? Maybe a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. After this, the soldiers move in. Verse uh, 10, the dispute was so violent, the commander was afraid that, this, this is serious, that Paul is going to be torn literally, physically. How do you tear a person, in, how do you tear a human being in pieces? This is dangerous. This is frightening. Paul is going to die unless someone does something. So if Paul's intention was to get them arguing so he could walk away, it certainly did not work. He's going to lose his life. And the Roman officer steps in and orders the troops to rush down there with their swords and their spears and their shields, the Roman army, and to to go in there and take Paul by force and bring him into their barracks. It didn't go well for anybody. The Roman officer letting him go to try to get this resolved. It didn't go well for him. didn't go well for Paul. didn't go well for the Pharisees. didn't go well for the Sadducees. This thing is a disaster for everybody involved because of one statement. That's all Paul has said. I am here because of my belief in the resurrection. And friends, this is our world too. Because it is the doctrine of of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I know this isn't Easter. We have sung songs today about the resurrection, about our hope, about our future. But is the doctrine of the resurrection 
that defines our Christian faith. Earlier, Marcy, uh, they read to you from 1 Corinthians 15. Would you look at 1 Corinthians 15? If you just turn a few pages in your Bible, the 1 Corinthians 15 is known as the resurrection chapter. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the entire chapter is about the resurrection. It's the gospel. And in verse 13, Paul says this, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. It's useless to have a faith that doesn't believe in the afterlife, that doesn't believe in a, in a, in a, in a personal God, and, and that there's more to life than this. Paul says, without the resurrection, our, our, our future, our, our, our preaching, our gospel, it's, it's ridiculous. Verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And he goes on to say in verse 35, someone will ask, well, how are the dead raised? And he goes on to explain by using the illustration from nature that I use all the time at, 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 at funerals, at gravesides, as I stand by the open grave, and oftentimes there are, there are flowers, uh, flowers there. And I, and I use that as an illustration and say, if you had never seen a rose, if you had never seen a tulip, if you had never seen uh, the flowers, the dahlias and the flowers that, that we love so much, if all I showed you was the root or the, the bare root or the bulb or the seed that it came from, and you had never seen a the end result, how could you make, you could never make that connection. I could never show you a, a, a bare root and say that, he, but then try and describe what a rose if you'd never seen one. And Paul says, this is what it's like. It goes in the ground. God gives it a body as he sees fit. It's raised a beautiful, resurrected body, but it is that body. And the Lord Jesus Christ went into the grave. They saw him die. They saw him on the cross of Calvary. They knew he died. It wasn't a trick. They knew he died. Joseph and, and Nicodemus handled his lifeless body. They cleaned it and anointed it quickly for burial. They knew he was dead. They put him in the tomb. And they came back to weep and to, and to share their sorrow, knowing as with the Pharisees that the, the followers of Jesus believed in the resurrection and they believed they would see him again, but they had no idea they would see him in the third day. They came to share their sorrow. They knew he was dead and he was alive. And they saw him. And they were shocked and they were astonished. And there was that mixture of fear and joy and astonishment, just like it would be if, if, if we had placed someone in the grave and, and saw them three days later alive. But it was him. It was him. But it was different. He had risen from the dead. And Paul says he became the first fruits, the prototype. Any of you deal with prototypes in your work? What's a prototype, Chris? The first unit that his company builds for their laser equipment that the rest are going to look like. And that first unit determines what the rest will look like. And Jesus Christ becomes the prototype, the first fruits. I wish I could tell you what the resurrection is going to be like. You know, we believe that. 
We're going to have a funeral here in two hours today for someone who went, who's gone home to be with the Lord. Mark Ryan's mother was laid to rest yesterday. Look around this congregation. I've been with many of you as we've laid loved ones to rest. And in this life, when we get so busy and wrapped up in what's going on, and, the, and we're going to talk about the things that we're afraid of, the things that come into our life, and, and do we stop and re, do we really, do we really believe that we are going to be with them again? I won't have to hide behind my mom in heaven for anything. I don't think the pirates are going to be there. I don't know, but <laughs> at least not as pirates. Do you really, do you really believe? Do you really believe you're going to see that loved one again? That family member? That spouse, that parent, that child, that brother, that sister, that grandparent. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that someday, even with all of our sinfulness and all of our mistakes and all of our humanness that we all know well, too well, every one of us here, do we really believe that we are going to stand with a resurrected, glorified body and I'm going to be me, and you're going to be you, but it's going to be different? Do we really believe that? Of all the things Paul could have said, of all the things he could have said, he says to the Sanhedrin, at the, at the, and I, I kind of think, you know, I've thought about this some more, and I, and I think when Paul did this, I think he did it knowing full well what the response was going to be from over here. And knowing full well that if all, he, all he said before was, I have a clean conscience, and he got hit in the mouth by the high, high priest's order. I think he knew full well when he said, I'm here for the resurrection, that there was a good chance that place was going to explode and it could cost him his life. But he did it anyway. Because that is the doctrine and the teaching that defines who we are. That we really believe that we are going to be with the Lord because He lives. We are going to live for eternity in His presence with a glorified body. And it's so hard for us to even relate to that and think about that, that, you know, in our minds, the, you know, the media, the whatever that's kind of affected us, that, you know, we think in terms of sort of, you know, kind of a nothingness, kind of a what are we going to do for all eternity? And, and sometimes maybe we're even affected by the false teachings of other religions that kind of preach this, this sort of a state of per, perfect nothingness. Listen, the same God that created everything that is so beautiful about our world, the things that are so beautiful about your world, your family, your friends, your love for one another, your work, the things that you and the same God who created this is the same God who has created the entire universe. Is it possible that we have an eternity ahead of us 
with the beauty. I mean, when I listen to something like a Mozart is produced as a child, and I think, how in the world could a child the age of these kids that were in front of us today write a, a piano concerto that I would still go out and spend money on and buy today? How is that possible? Every so often we get this glimpse into what life could have been like without sin. I think God gives us those little glimpses of what it could have been like without the limitations of sin. We have an eternity. And our view of life right now should be strongly affected if there's anybody that should have joy, even in sorrow, as Kevin mentioned this morning. If there's anybody that should have purpose, if there's anybody that should be the hardest worker in your place of work, if there's anybody that should be the best student as you study, if there's anybody who, sh- who should be the, the best citizen, the best neighbor, it should be us. I don't mean the highest achiever, but I mean people of integrity and purpose and joy and in love and compassion and kindness because of what we have that draws us ahead. And I want you to conclude with this. This is a frightening situation. I, I, what are you afraid of today? Come on, I'll be honest. You know, I got my fears. I, I look at things. I, I don't know what this is going to happen and that's going to happen and this. I've got my fears. You have your fears. And just like, just like the children that were here, and you look back and think about what were you afraid of when you were eight years old? Huh? What were you afraid of the most when you were eight years old? What were you afraid of when you were 15 years old? Some of you guys 15? What is, well, close, yeah. What are some of the things you're afraid of? And you know what? Your parents and grandparents and leaders and friends here, they were that age. And we can look back and say, yep, I know exactly. But you know what? They've got their fears too. What are we afraid of? Life is uncertain. This was a dangerous situation. It was a fearful situation. I've never been in, but I can imagine how I would feel if, I was gonna, if you guys were to all of a sudden attack me, the Pharisees and Sadducees, to try and tear me in pieces and kill me. And we walk out this door and 40 of you take a pack and say, I'm going to kill that person if it means I'm not going to eat or drink until it happens. And look what, look what God says. Verse 11. The following night, Paul's back in the barracks. Paul's back with the Romans. And I love this. The Lord stood near Paul. And I had to look that up in the Greek language because I had the thought, okay, now is the NIV taking a little liberty here? I looked it up in every translation. They all said that. I went back with my little bit of knowledge of Greek and and sure enough, that's exactly what it says. The Lord stood near Paul and said to him, Paul, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must, you will also testify in Rome. Why? Because he lives. Because of the resurrection. 
Because Jesus Christ is alive right now. He could stand next to Paul. And Paul was given those little glimpses once in a while. Not every day. But you read in 2 Timothy chapter 4 as Paul comes to the end of his life. And, and, he, and he says, I, I, I did go to Rome. He said, and I stood and I was in the mouth of the lion. I stood before Nero, if you will. The Roman emperor who wanted to kill me, who does kill him. And Paul says, everybody ran away. Everybody deserted me. Not one person, not even a, not even a lawyer, not even a character witness. Nobody, not one Christian in Rome would dare stand next to Paul and say, I, I want to plead his cause. I, I want to give a character reference to this guy. Not one person. But Paul says, the Lord stood near my side and gave me strength. It's because of the resurrection. It's because our Lord is alive today. And it's because the Holy Spirit has been given to us to seal us until the day of redemption. That whatever brings you the most fear in your life today, I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know how it's going to conclude. But I do know this. God has promised, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, He will be standing there beside you. He is sitting beside you right now. The Holy Spirit dwells within it's because he lives. It is the essential truth of our faith as Christians. He has risen from the dead. He is alive. He has given us the hope of the resurrection. He has become the prototype. And just as when Jesus Christ was there, the old apostle John, before he dies, he says, little children... It doesn't yet appear what, even John the Apostle, I can't really tell you what it's going to be like, but I'll tell you this. When we see him, we will be like him. It was him. It was him. Praise God. Listen, friends, we have hope because of the resurrection. Let's live our lives as people of joy and thankfulness and of hope, of hope because of the resurrection. Let's close our service with our closing song today and be dismissed with a word encouragement of hope. The sermon title in your bulletin had nothing at all to do with this morning's sermon. That's because I sent it from Michigan and it's for tonight's sermon. Um, Today's sermon was about the hope of the resurrection. But uh, we're going to come back to this tonight, and if you can come, join us at 6 o'clock. Because, you know, some might, well, you Christians are fatalists. Are we fatalists? Huh? Are you going to leave this place today and just go sit down and just do nothing for the rest of the day or the week? Of course not. You know, um, yesterday, two days ago, I was in mission board meetings back in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and one of the young ladies that from our church, Kayla Fosnott, came and, and gave her uh, um, her, her uh, talk with the board. She's applying to go out full-time as a missionary. And I was so proud of her. She, she was she's such a heart to serve, and she's been approved, and she's going to be going to Puerto Rico after she raises her support. I heard this morning in class that Sean Lowe is in Goma, 
Africa. Did I get that right, John? Goma, Africa. He's a legal student. He's in his, his, he's working on his law degree at UCLA. And I'm just not even sure I got, I'll have to talk to him, find out why he's there, but it has something to do with this training and this opportunity. A Christian young man, who'd ever thought your son would be in Goma, Africa doing, in his, in his law studies? I look around this congregation and, and, and think of the opportunities this week in this community around this world that we have to live our lives for Jesus Christ because of the resurrection. Your life matters. It matters. Today matters. Tomorrow matters. And the next day matters because God has called you to represent him. Heavenly Father, we leave this place today rejoicing that we have the privilege of living in this, this world you've given us, even though tainted with sin, and yet we look around and the, and the beauty and the things that we enjoy so much that you've given us to enjoy. And think of our families and our friends and our work and our studies and our, 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 just our health even be here today. And for those who don't have that, Lord, we have several not here today because they can't be out. Their health is not good. They're not able to get out. Yet they too are rejoicing, even in pain and sickness, maybe in sorrow, yet rejoicing in the hope of the future and the resurrection that we can even in difficult time live lives that bring honor and glory to you. And maybe today we're here and we have some fears. Maybe it's for our children. Maybe it's for our parents. It's for our future. We're not sure exactly what is around the corner. But Lord, we do know this. You will be there. You will be there. And we will be able to look back each time and say, God, you have been there with me. It's because of that today we leave rejoicing in the hope of the resurrection. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen.